Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello everyone and welcome to Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And we're coming to you today from the uh, rainy evening here in Aldergrove, BC. Beautiful downtown Aldergrove, BC, where the Stu Stu Studio Studios are located right beside the... Uh, the chicken coop. The, the chicken coop. I was going to say the listening party rumpus room. Oh, But right. also nearby there is a chicken coop. There That's is. true. That's I true. just got excited because I saw the chickens. I like them. You like the chickens? I like the chickens. They're cute. Yeah, they're not quite as... Um, last, the last chickens that we had... Were bad. No, no. They, they were, were bad at being chickens. They were, well, they were bad at being chickens, but they were both pretty cute. One was, was like a white chicken with with a red crest, whatever you call like it. Like if you imagine what a chicken looks like, yeah. that's what she looked like. Yeah, she was like a big fat chicken. She was really big. And then our other chicken was kind of pathetic. Yes. But she was very beautiful. She had really... She had like a... Big plumage on her head. It was almost like she had a brindle color, too. Yeah. She had a golden feathers with a kind of brown and gold mm-hmm. color. And yes, then she had a big uh, flume of feathers on top of a plume of fe- a plumage of feathers. Mm-hmm. A magnificence of feathers on top of her head. Yes. That because she had a, a, a neck problem, would occasionally drag on the ground and get all dirty yeah. and caked in mud. You have to trim them sometimes. She didn't like that. <laughs> she did not like it at all. Ah, oh, chickens. So we have two new chickens now, which we have called the, we have named the Savages. Well, mom that, has because m- she thinks that they named, or the, she, she thinks that they murdered the old chicken. Yes, yes. She, who did die right as we got these new ones. Under mysterious circumstances. Well, she was a chicken. Well, she was a chicken. She was, you know, maybe up there in age. She wasn't totally healthy because of her neck problem. Yeah. And also the fact that there was a knife. She had a gunshot wound yeah. and also a noose around her neck. Yeah. And it had been poisoned. And the chickens were off in the corner smoking. <laughs> the chickens were off in the corner <laughs> looking suspicious, whistling. <laughs> whistling. What? What? They said in chickenese. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, enough about our chickens, Mare. But they're I'm, cute. Because people have not turned in to, ch- to chicken party. They're a little brown. They're yeah. a little like goldy brown. Yeah, colors. they're like gold brown color right now. They're 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 getting in their adult feathers. Yeah. That's kind of coming in there, that that kind of um, awkward teen phase right now. They've taken to perching on the door, too, which is pretty cute. Yeah. That's so when you walk into the chicken coop, there's a door. Yeah. And they hang out right on the door. So yeah, when you open a... it, you, you like open the door and they like move out with the door. Because mm-hmm. they're well, sitting on it. It's kind of like a door. It's a, It has a chicken wire on it. Yeah. And then there's a cross member about halfway up the door. And, they, and they've just decided that that cross member is a perfect place to roost on when they're... And like all the rest of the... All the rest of their enclosure has that same piece of wood. Yeah. Doesn't it? I think but it does. But it's just the door one that they, they like, really like. They do like the door. Maybe they don't. Because it moves. Well, that and they like the they like the idea of freedom and we have been letting them out to wander Ooh, around on the, yeah. the back lawn. So they're, they're wild birds. So they're the savages. They're wild chickens. <laughs> they're wild, wild savages. But like I say, you have not tuned in to Chicken Party. This oh, is right. Listening Party, the show where we listen to chickens. music. Mostly my fabulous music from my 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 uh, extensive music collection. Mostly. And also excellent music collection. Yes. Also, one time we listened to my music. Which a lot of it was drawn from my music collection anyway. Because sure. I grew up with that. <laughs> That's true. You grew up with my music, and unfortunately, I infected you. And uh, I marked you yeah. as different for the rest of your life. True. True. I can never listen to the radio and be like, hmm, this is good. <laughs> I just have my my tastes are too different. I don't like everything you like. No, that's true. No. But I have 
uh, definitely based my what I like off of the op the many 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 options that I was presented. Yeah, that's that right. were not limited to top forty music on the radio. Nor do they include that. No, I'm not a, not a huge top forty fan. There yeah. are top forty songs that I like. Yes, um, like Call Me Maybe. Call Me Car- Maybe. Carly Rae Jepsen. Carly Rae Jepsen. I think it's a very good song. I like um, Ray of Light by Madonna. I mm, think it's yeah. a really good song. Um, that's all. Those two. Those two songs. No, there's other songs too. <laughs> that I like. But those, those two. But those, those songs are not included on these collections because I feel like anyone, myself included, can hear those songs whenever they want to. Yep. And probably know those songs. Oh, probably. Like, sure, I could put Shake It Out by Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And I like that song. Mm-hmm. That song, I think, would be a fun to have in a mix. Yep. But you've heard it. Everyone yeah. out there's heard it. Everyone yeah. out there, even, even artists that I would consider kind of, you know, someone that I would have considered, um, you know, putting on here, like, say, Feist. Everyone's heard Feist because yeah, they know one, two, three, four from the iTunes, the iPod. That commercial. Apple, yeah, that Apple ad in yeah. like two thousand nine or whatever. Oh, I think it was 10. earlier than that, probably. Two thousand eight. Yeah, something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. I was definitely in high school when it was. Oh, wasn't we in high school? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe they brought on that time. Yeah. So I mean, so you kind of like, well, what's the point of putting that on? Because everyone, everyone knows those songs, mm-hmm. but not everyone knows these songs by the bands that that we've been playing on on our show recently because we've been doing a CanCon show dear we've been celebrating canadian content we sure have been because uh we are mandated to as a canadian program <laughs> that's right we do have the mandate to pay, play 30 percent canadian music as part of uh our our um listening ex- exper- experience but also one of our listeners dylan o'connell was kind enough to send me his choice of australian music that he loved and so i reciprocated by sending him some canadian music that i loved and I kind of narrowed it down to the, what I think is a particular kind of indie renaissance here in Canada. When we had, for whatever reason, we had this kind of burst of, of exposure, partly based around uh, TV exposure, um, bands being able to con- like more connection connectivity across the country, which hadn't really existed before because of the distance, the incredible distances of Canada. If you live somewhere in Europe, you can't even imagine Canada as like a place to live. We have relatives who come here from, from England for example, who, you know, come and they're like, well, we thought we'd visit and then go see see Niagara Falls. And we're like, that is not something you can just do. <laughs> no, no, you have to, like, pay a lot more money to fly yeah. across the country. It takes, like, there. three hours to four hours to fly there. It takes four hours to fly there, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a week-long drive to go from, from there. Like, you can drive the, the length, and breadth, length and breadth of England in about a day, which I have done. I've, yeah. I've, dragged, I've force-marched my children... By car through through uh, Great Britain. Now, that's something you can do. You can you can get uh, uh, to the Alberta border from Vancouver <laughs> that within time. that same amount of time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You can cross one province. You know, yeah. <clears throat> going north, you can get what a quarter of the way up the province. Yes. A third you, of the way up the. You province? can get about a qu- yeah a quarter to a third of the way if you drove for. A, you know, if you drove for straight twenty four hours, you could go farther. But like a yeah. a a re- you know realistic amount of time driving and then having a rest, yeah. you could probably get about a third of the way. Uh, it's maybe a little better now because they built a more efficient uh, highway. The Yellowhead. I was thinking the Coquihalla. Oh yeah, okay. Because before you'd have to like wind your way up the Fraser Canyon, right? Which Not... was a very pre- precarious and and kind of scary road to probably go. Probably scenic. It's very scenic, but not 
fast. It's, the reason it's scenic is because you're driving along cliff faces yeah. and you can look, look out across <laughs> these vast expanses where you can drive off of and fall in your car yeah. to your death. So you can go, look at that beautiful scenery in front of us that also is dangerous and we could end up falling <laughs> if we hit ice or something. Yeah. So yeah, it's not. So they put in a different freeway, which but which actually is also dangerous because of snow and ice. But oh, yeah. it's faster to go that way. But yeah, I mean you have to have um, like winter tires or chains on your vehicle if you're driving on the Coquihalla or any really of, on any, any of the freeways on yeah. any of those highways yeah. in BC between what October first and February yeah, or March first or something. End of February, I guess. Yeah, yeah. which I, I didn't have actually. When Oh, really? Yeah. That's dangerous. And it, well, it wasn't snowy, though. But you're in a small car. So. Yeah. No, it wasn't snowy, but it's not safe. But I know. I'm going to get I'm gonna get chains before I go into the interior again. Mm. Okay. Chains for your car? Yeah. Wouldn't it be better just to get snow tires? They're so expensive. They're expensive. But they last a long time. Them, and then I have to change them every time. Yeah. Which is also inconvenient. <laughs> it's also expensive. Yeah. Although you could do it yourself, I guess. Which would be in the snow? No, thank you. <laughs> so you do it before the snow. All right. So let's... Let's talk music, Mary. Okay. Let's talk side two of Dave's uh, fabulous Canadian mixtape. I keep saying the word fabulous. I'm feeling very boasty today. I don't know why. I'm just full of pep and vinegar, and I'm ready to take on all comers. We actually haven't had a lot of comments on our last one, did we? Uh, I don't know. I didn't actually have time to check. Hmm. Well, we also didn't have many comments on the first one that I hosted. Yeah. Yeah. But then we had a few more in the second one. Maybe people are waiting now to, <laughs> for the whole thing. Yeah, maybe. I don't blame them because sometimes it's the the whole experience is sort of shaped by both sides, not just by one side. Because you can listen to one side and you go, well, that's really out of whack. There were no women at all on that side. And you go, yeah, that's true. That's my bad. But there are more on this side. So um, this is not, but this is not a, a female band or not a band of women. Or a, whatever. I don't know what I'm saying anymore, Mary. This is a band... Um, from Oshawa, Ontario, Ooh. called Cuff the Duke. And their song is called Ballad of a Lonely Construction Worker. And um, let's give it a listen. Let's hear it.
right, well, we sort of threw you in. We didn't even really introduce it very well or even get into the music very much, but we just started playing music out of the blue. I hope everyone enjoyed that song. I felt like after we started playing it, I kind of felt like, oh, that was very um, sudden. We just kind of like, it was as if we had crested a hill and suddenly drove down into a valley. You ever know that feeling, Mary, when you're like going up a big hill and you can't see what's on the other side and then you come to the top of it and you drive down and it's like this whole different view? It's kind of an interesting experience. I feel like that's what we just gave listeners. But I don't know if they liked it or not. As I said, the band are from Oshawa, Ontario. So deep in the suburbs of of the... uh, Greater Toronto area. The greater Toronto area, yeah. So young young men growing up in these big, giant, boring suburban spreads. And uh, yeah, the album is called Life Stories for Minimum Wage. It came out in 2002. And I think, yeah, I think they're kind of their... I don't want to call it oeuvre, but they're... Kind of their band ethos kind of reflects mm-hmm. that suburban upbringing right. of uh, kind of that feeling of depressed hopelessness that yeah. comes of working in a place where you either go to school and get a profession or you uh, drift into the auto industry. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we, we looked it up as well and Oshawa is the uh, motor capital of Canada. Because, there you go, yeah. Uh, they are, yeah, you know, they're, they're pretty close to all that car stuff that... Mm-hmm. Um, what, the the Rust Belt? They're close to, yes. Um, well, Toronto is basically, well, not Toronto, but Ontario is basically right above Michigan. Yeah. The state of Michigan, where like Detroit, Michigan, which would, yeah. have, would have once been the Motor City. Yes. But yeah, uh, so General Motors um, headquarters, Canada, is in Oshawa. Yeah. And have a bunch of car car companies there, I guess. I guess car, well, car, car factories, yeah. Car factories, yes. yeah, sorry. Yes, where they do manufacturing there. So far, they haven't lost all of them yet. Yeah. Imagine, imagine those sort of places have, uh, it's always a uh, fear that one day all the plants will be moved out somewhere else. But yeah, so, um, yeah, I saw them, of course, I saw them open for Sloan, I think during Sloan's Navy Blues tour. No, it would have been Navy Blues, because when I saw them, it would have been... Was it this album that they were? They were touring uh, this album, yeah. They kind of talked on stage about, talking about driving through the, the Rockies in a small van in the oh, wintertime. Okay. How great that was, with yeah. a van with five guys in it, and <laughs> uh, yeah. And I really, I really enjoyed them live. Like this song, I I remember quite quite uh, vividly because uh, I just love the part. It's, it doesn't come as across as well on the recording, but when the kind of guitar part happens near the end of the song, the lead singer guitarist he just like started like slashing away at his strings, just playing. <laughs> it sounds like one chord. He's just kind of slashing away at his guitar, just creating this this god awful racket while the other guitar player plays against that. And uh, there's nothing I enjoy more in like music. guitar interplay? I enjoy guitar interplay, and I also enjoy a god-awful racket. Oh, it's true. You do enjoy a god-awful racket. I, I don't as much. Yeah. So uh, that, uh, yeah, I enjoy that part of the song. I always feel like music, you know, if you can't, uh, I, I don't want to say it's not music. So it's part of the music, but it's part of the emotion of the song to have that kind of uh, outburst in a song like that, you know, like obviously it's meaningful within the context of the song. And I... I always enjoy that sort of, uh, you know, guitar freakout sort of stuff. But I, I really only enjoy it if it's done in a kind of an amateur way. <laughs> if it's like a professional guitar freakout, it always feels the sort of, I don't know, it's, there's no heart in it. It's just someone, you know, professionally playing the scales and you're just like, meh. Mm. Not, so, not so much. Not so much heart there. More, more you know, professional, uh, more professionalism. Which is all, it has its place, but it's just not, it's not the same. It's not the same at all. Okay, well, um, 
I don't know what else I can say about this group uh, besides the fact that I saw them open for Sloan, which will be the case for many bands that we talk about and I've already talked about on this uh, Sloan being... And what year was this album out? Uh, it came out in 2002. Okay, so would it, would it have been Pretty Together that they were touring on Sloan? It might have been Pretty Together, but I feel like I saw Pretty Together at a different venue than where I saw them, hmm. where I saw Cuff the Duke open for them. Because that one came out in 2001, so that would line up pretty well. Mm-hmm. It would. It would, but I just... I feel like I, I don't know, it's probably obviously all confused now in my mind what, what came out when and where I saw them. But I feel like, I thought I saw the Between the Bridges tour at the Vogue Theatre here in Vancouver. And that's where you saw Cuff the Duke? And I saw Cuff the Duke there, but it must have been, it must have been a different band, because I know that we saw a couple concerts there, because Danko Jones also opened for Sloan at, at the Vogue Theatre. So I don't know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to swear at anything, I don't want to hmm. swear on any affidavits. What about Action Packed? When did you see, did you see them, did you see Action Packed live? Mm-hmm. That's quite a bit later, isn't it? 2003. Is it 2003? Yep. Oh, I don't know who I saw open for it with action. I'm all mixed up now. Okay. It's fine. It was a long um, time ago. <laughs> I'm all mixed up. They all kind of go, come together. I enjoyed the experience. Yeah, oh yeah. But I don't remember now. I don't remember. Yeah, they, um, when they started, they actually started as a duo. Oh, really? And they sort of like added players as they, as mm-hmm. they went. And the name came from a shirt I bought at a thrift store by the front, frontman. He found this shirt that said Cuff the Duke, so I bought it. Now, that's not what I heard back in the day. Because back in the day, they give a different story of what the name meant. Which was? Uh, it was reference to masturbation. Okay. Now, I don't know if that's just a joke that they were telling people. Like, you know, they're 20-year-olds, so yeah. they think it's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> so that's what and I remember hearing. Maybe they hearing. grew up and were like, mm, maybe we don't really want that to be associated with our band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you often find that with bands, that they'll, they'll, their story of how their name came about will change over time. You know. Maybe they're both kind of true. Could be. Maybe they saw that. Maybe he saw it in a thrift store and he was like, oh, I know what that means. <laughs> and then he brought it to his friends and were, was like, hey, isn't this a hilarious euphemism? And they were like, yeah, what? let's call our band that. And then later on, they were like, maybe let's get rid of that thing where we thought it was a euphemism for <laughs> masturbation. We'll just talk about the thrift store part. <laughs> Could be. Ho- hopefully. I, I I don't really know. It's um my least favorite thing to hear about a... Maybe it's not my least favorite thing, but it's one of the things. It's kind of like to me. It's like the equivalent. There's a song by the Pretty Things from their album SF Sorrow called "Bracelet of Fingers," okay, which apparently is about masturbation. Mm-hmm. But when I heard that, I was just like, "Ooh, <laughs> like, I don't want to know that." Mm-hmm. That'd be like hearing someone writing a song and they're saying, "Oh, I really like that song you wrote, Candle in the Wind," and they went, "Yeah, I wrote that about pooing." You're like, "Well, that changes <laughs> what I thought of that song." I thought it was like a heartfelt tribute to someone who'd passed away. Oh no, I was just so happy that I finally pooed. I hadn't pooed for two days and I was, I was really feel I was feeling so bloated and awful. <laughs> and I pooed and I thought, you know what? I'm going to write a song about this. I'm going to call it Candle in the Wind because the wind refers to my farting when I was pooing. Right, right, of course. <laughs> I'm shaking my head right now. You can't see me, podcast audience, but. <laughs> but it would change your opinion of that song, right? Like if Elton John in an interview said that he wrote Candle in the Wind about pooing. I mean, I guess so, but I don't think he did. Well, no, he didn't. But I just mean that if he said that, then you'd be like, oh, I don't... Ugh. <laughs> That's what I felt when I, when I found out what Bracelet of Fingers was about. There's also the song... I should do like a series of top five songs about masturbating. I'm going to start working on that. <laughs> Silence for my daughter. Probably not appropriate yeah, father-daughter conversation. Maybe do that on Sneaky Dragon. Because that is a blue podcast, whereas this is a family-friendly podcast. That's true. In theory. In theory. That's until true. this episode. <laughs> well, no, these are family-friendly topics. So these are things people should talk about. Just not on a podcast. With, no. with strangers. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I'm going to start working on that top five mix. All right. For Sneaky Dragon. No. Okay. Well, I'll be absent that day then, I guess. <laughs> Pictures of Lily. Bracelet of Fingers. I'm going to start working on So what's on this. the next song? Uh, the next song there is by a band called Boy. Oh, I, I like them. And this song is called Black Cat. Oh, I like that song. Well, that's good because you're going to enjoy hearing it. Hearing it right now. Let's hear it. So let's give it a listen, everyone.
Okay, and that was Boy with Black Cat from the band's second album called Every Page You Turn from 2004. So, Mare, thoughts on Black Cat? I really like this song. But did you always like the song? No, I didn't like it when I first heard it. It took me a little while to warm up to it, and now I love it so much. Is that right? Yes. Why didn't you like it? I don't know. I can't tell you that. You can't tell me why you didn't like it? It didn't shoot the blue beam of light into your brain? I guess not. But then it did later. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I remember listening to it in math class when I was in grade nine. Yeah. And not liking it. Maybe the math was the the problem. No, I listened to a lot of good music in math class. Okay. But the song you'd already heard. Maybe you hadn't heard the song before. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Because the time I was I was jogging wearing my headphones uh, in the park and and the guy attacked me and started strangling me. I've never liked that song that I was listening to at the time. No, I I, I, I math I did well in grade okay. nine. Oh, you did quick, quick. I got straight A's in grade nine. Is that right? This is the only year I got A's in math. Mm. Um, good teacher. Yeah, she was pretty good. Um, good and, effort on your part as well. Yeah, that too. But because I was doing well in that class, my teacher yeah. allowed me to. Um, Listen, listen to, music? to music when I did my homework. Okay. And then when I was finished my homework, I would read my book. Oh, wow. Wish I had a math class like that. It was pretty good. Of course, my problem in math class was I wanted to read the book the whole math class. Well, yeah, that's the problem. You got to save it as a reward for after you finish all your math yeah, homework. Yeah. No, I'm more used to it as a way to avoid punishment. No, yeah, that's fair. Doing math. I, yes, I can see that. I've also <laughs> done that. <laughs> Much to my dismay when I had to take that math class again. <laughs> yes. So... Boy is actually was actually started as a solo project for this for this young man named Stephen Cosmenia. Could you say he was a boy at the time? I would say that he was a young well, he was a young man, but I guess a boy. If you if you can think back yourself at the age of twenty, yes, and think that you were probably just a girl, yeah, I would say so, rather than a woman, yeah, then I would say he was a boy. Yes, because he recorded this album. He recorded, so not this album, but he recorded his first album in his bedroom. At his home in Whitehorse, Yukon. So he lived in Whitehorse. Oh, cool. Which is, so people who don't, aren't familiar with Canada, any of our listeners, uh, the Yukon is, is a far north territory. It's not a province. It's mm-hmm. a territory of Canada. Oh. It's where the gold rush happened. Yes. It's right beside Alaska. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this young fella lived in Whitehorse, which is sort of the, the largest city in, in Yukon. Probably would be considered the only city in, U- in Probably. Yukon. Probably, I believe it's the capital city as well. It is the capital city, and it also and it's it also is, has most people. And, the and rest... it's also the only city that anyone knows the name of in the Yukon. In the in, no, a city, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're right. Oh, and there's no other cities to know of. I do know. Uh, no, I can't remember the name of it now. I did. I used to know a name of another place there. I also used to know the name of the city that um, Doctor Oakley, Yukon vet, oh, okay. works in. Yes, which is a very good show. Yeah. It's a National Geographic show. Did the show, the, the uh, town start with an M? No, I don't think so. I think it was like a two-word oh. town. Oh, also, yes. Dr. Oakley, Yukon Vet, is going to be on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. just saying, I'm getting you Disney+, Plus because Dr. Oakley, Yukon Vet's on it. <laughs> is that, it's a good show? It's a really good show. Huh. I like it. It's the, about a vet yeah. who is in the Yukon, so she does all animals. Yeah. So she does little animals, and she does like big animals, and she like farm animals, it's and she does bears. wild animals. Polar bears. I never, I haven't seen one where she did a polar bear, but I've seen her ones where she did like a hawk, a seal, and then there's one where she was like impregnated a bunch of cows, a beluga whale, and then there's one where she went and she was looking at this place where they did they had dog sleds and she, they had like a, just like a million huskies and she was helping yeah. them. Wow! And then she would go to, to like her little private practice clinic and then she takes care of like family pets, huh? Like dogs, like labs, old labs with cancer and stuff. Yeah. A wide range of animals. I'll say. There's a dog who ate a pork, tried to eat a porcupine and got a bunch of porcupine needles in its mouth. 
Wow, I think I saw that one. I showed you pictures of it. Oh, okay. That's Because right. it was so hor- horrific to me that I had to pause it and take <laughs> pictures of it and send it to everyone that I knew to try to distribute the horribleness. <laughs> Poor dog. I know. Poor it was doggy. bad. So yeah, so he recorded this one on Pro Tools, his al- first album. And it's kind of interesting to hear that album. I, um, there's like a song, he d- would do songs, and if he needed strings, he would just sample them off of other records and then use them, use those samples on hmm. his own songs. Cool. So it was very much a, a homemade sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but then a couple of years later, the band expanded from just being him into a five-piece band with you know other other musicians. And then they, re- they recorded Every Page You Turn, which was recorded by... Uh, Brendan McGuire, who we've mentioned a few times, he's kind of the um, ca- Canada's indie superstar producer. He started off as Sloan's, I think he still works with Sloan and a lot of stuff, but he started off as Sloan's, uh, like their sound man, for li- live sound man. And then he started producing, like he produced uh, the first Super Friends album, for instance. And then he kind of moved from that into doing a lot of production for a lot of different bands, including Boy. And so they recorded this album on Vancouver Island in a, in a remote cabin of oh, all places. Sick. I guess... Stephen Kosminik still needed that feeling that he was in the Yukon, so yeah. he had to go to a cabin and record it. Is this... we? Well, we haven't had a lot of West Coast bands. I feel like we've had mainly East Coast bands. Mm-hmm. Well, they certainly... The Halifax scene was certainly the kind of life... The heartbeat of Canada's music at that and time. And Montreal. Montreal, too, for sure, yeah. We've had a few bands from Montreal. Yeah. Um, yep. But I think we've only had... I think this is only our second from the West Coast. Yeah, the West Coast scene... Be- well, I've kind of talked about it before a little bit, but the West Coast scene was really a, an unfortunate situation because this this town was literally under the iron fist of a few people right, who worked right. who worked that. against local bands in order to promote their old hat. You know, like who cares about them bands that mm. they just kept pushing. You know, and Nickelback. so well, uh, Nickelback is an example of a band actually who kind of worked who kind of got escaped that mostly by coming out of alberta more than they came out of british columbia oh really yeah oh interesting because they're yeah. from from abbas for the yeah, they're they're local BC. band they're yeah. like from the city next door to ours they're yeah. from the city we share a uh a riding with yes a political yeah. political, riding. political we, riding we voted today so i my our family did yeah it was voting day voting day great song not really and then um i don't know is it by west coast Canadian no i was band? thinking oh, okay. of moving day actually oh <laughs> moving day move. anyway it's an old folk song um so so uh yeah so the so that was always a problem here in town is you could have bands they could get to a certain point you know of of local notoriety but because of lack of radio play and support in town like lack of places to play and things like that and vancouver is an incredibly expensive city to live in we are probably one of we're, we are one of the most expensive cities to live in on the in the world oh yeah and so and definitely the most expensive in canada which toronto hates to hear but it's true yeah and so and because we're a relatively s- small land area that you, we can grow in like we're surrounded by mountains and then we have an ocean or, or not really an ocean but we have water you know blocking part of yeah we have a strait of water and then we have mountains around us and then we have farmland, so we're kind of limited to where we can where we can build and grow, and so and then we're also a very popular place to live. Suddenly, like unlike say in the seventies when we were regarded as as the back of beyond, uh, suddenly we've become like a you know place that the world wants to come live. Yeah, in. Yeah, thanks Expo eighty six. <laughs> yes, that's right. I knew that was going to happen. That's why I didn't <laughs> go to Expo eighty six. So mad at it. You didn't go to Expo eighty six. No, I was so that's mad ridiculous. at it. Oh. No, I just knew it was a doom. I knew it spelled. I, I told everyone at the time it spelled doom, and I was right. So, 
<laughs> it's a ridiculous reason to not go to a really fun event. Yeah, I, I doubt it was that fun. Anyway. I had a roller coaster, but they moved it to the PNE, so I got to go in there. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen some seen some pictures of it. Yeah. I was nearby. I worked in the parking lot. Doesn't uh, count. Outside of Expo. Does not count. Oh, well. Working in a parking lot is not the same as attending Expo I 86. I guess. So then uh, I was a I was a um, moody teenager. I couldn't. Mm, that's couldn't, fair. Couldn't do it. All right. That that explains it. I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, the local scene. Yeah. So so unlike other unlike the rest of Canada, like Montreal and Halifax and and uh, Toronto, Vancouver, it just you know, has just never been able to like create like a viable music scene. Like we've mm-hmm. had bands come out of it, but it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like I, I feel sorry for all the bands that are here in Vancouver. They really they really have. It's gotten better. Yeah. It has gotten better over well, the yeah, years. Yeah, there's been a few. In but the, f- the problem now is that because it's so expensive to live in the city, there's nowhere to play now. All the, yeah. all the clubs have shut down. So it's, just, it's, it's weird. Like it's, but it's also the nature of, of the world now is like it's not the same as it used to be. Yeah. I think I mentioned a while ago I was reading this book about Prefab Sprout. They're, it's like a first of three volumes, which seems crazy about that band. But anyway, I was interested enough in the first band that I bought this very expensive book from England. It had to be mailed here from England and... I wouldn't even tell you how much it cost. So crazy. $100. Not that much, but okay. it was still silly. And then, uh, but in it, it was talking about like in Newcastle, which is not a big city in England. I don't think it's a big city. It's in the north. And in Newcastle, they had, uh, in the late 1970s, they had over 200 bands playing in the, in the city. Oh, wow. Which is crazy, right? Yeah. That a city of that, you know, a modest sized city could support 200 bands. So I can't even imagine what London had going on in it at mm-hmm. that time. But, the, you know, these places weren't like murderously expensive to live in, not even London at that time. I mean, London was probably expensive, but also had places where people could like live illegally in squats and stuff like that. Yeah. So you had the squatters culture, you know, that just kind of supported the bands as well. Mm-hmm. Here in Vancouver, it's just not, we're not built that way. We don't have squatters' rights. We don't have yeah. places people can squat. Yeah. And like all the punk, we have a like terrible, there's like, we have terrible drug problems. Yeah. And all the, all know. the punk houses are like, all the people there are getting run evicted. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah. uh, I had a friend who's living in, um, in the oldest punk house in Vancouver. Okay. I think he was living there with like seven other people. Um, one person was living in the cupboard under the stairs for like <laughs> 150 bucks a month. That was Harry Potter. Yeah, it was Harry Potter. Um, but he was in, he was in a band too. Okay. My friend. It was a uh, some weird punk offshoot band that he was in. I think it was like power violence okay. was the, the the genre of band that he was he was okay. playing in. But he's one of those guys who's been in like a million. He like moved out of Chilliwack yeah. when he was younger and has been in like a million punk bands. Mm. And um, I think he's straight edge now, which is good. Or okay. sober now or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. Straight edge sounds better than teetotaler. Yeah. Yeah. And it's more of a punk thing. Yeah. Being straight edge yeah. is like a punk thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but he he just got like that place. They all got renovated out of there. Oh really? Because they're tearing down that house, which mm. was sort of like a punk icon in the city. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Unfortunate. That's that's Vancouver for you. Yeah. So yeah, so that's that's just to explain why like we don't have a ton of bands that are coming out of uh, the Vancouver area, but there are a few. There are a few. There have been a few, mm-hmm. and there will be a few. Mm-hmm. Marianas Trench. No, I just meant on, in this in this list. Oh, list okay. Of, of bands. I really. So let's talk about this song a little bit. Okay. I really like... This song has something I, lo- I love in music, which is the, the build. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it starts off with just a guitar and some subtle instrumentation in the background, the, the hi-hat being played, and uh sounds like someone's kind of like do- noodling along in the bass a little bit in the background. 
and then it slowly starts to build up and you have instruments that are added throughout the song and the piano comes in and and what i really like in it though is that i don't know if it's a mellotron or some sort of keyboard where it's playing that sort of descending almost flute sound part to the song mm. i just love that little counter yeah. melody to the to the main melody of the song i think that really works great it's a good song it is it's a fantastic song i hope everyone enjoyed boy so now we're going to move on to speaking of halifax mm-hmm. let's listen to this band who uh weren't didn't originate in halifax but worked out of halifax through the 90s this is the inbreds and their song drag us down so let's give this song a listen everyone
we're back. That was The Inbreds with the song Drag Us Down from their 1996 album, It's Sydney or The Bush. I don't know what that reference is to, but that's the name of the, the title of that album. And um, what did you think of that song, Mary? I liked it. Yeah. It's a it pre- sounded very slow. Yes. It's part of that, that scene. And what's interesting, though, well, okay, so this band formed in Kingston, Ontario. Oh, okay. In 1992. I thought you said they were from Halifax. But then they relocated to Halifax in 1996 because Halifax was the happening place. So it was the best chance you had of getting noticed. Hmm. So at that point, were Sloan still, were they living in Halifax still? Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, the scene was still them and kind of revolving around them and their their friends and stuff. So, So the inbreds went there. And in 1996, maybe because... Uh, Sloan's Murder Records was re-releasing their their second album, which is called Combinator, uh, which came out in 1994. But they were re-releasing it on Murder Records, so maybe they went there just to kind of be there while this was happening. But what's weird is that their follow-up, It's Sydney or the Bush, was once again released independently by them. The first Combinator was released independently by the group on their own record comp- on their own record label. And then it was re-released by Murder Records. Then they, but then their next album they release independently as well. So it's kind of strange, even though. Uh, the song Drag Us Down appears on, appeared with a song from on Combinator, Amelia Earhart, on the Murder Records sampler, Neco Literis Mando Excerpta, hmm. 97, 98, which is like a collection of, of songs from the, uh, from the Murder Records um, roster at that time period. So The Inbreds, Local Rabbits, Loan Themselves. Okay, cool. And uh, The Super Friends. We're all, all feature on that. It's two songs each. So it's a, nice, it's a neat little sampler. I'm not too sure what the title means. Neco Literis is, uh, would be Murder Records, but I don't know what the rest of it is. Uh, Mando Excerpta, I don't know what that means. Demand, Command, an excerpt? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so the the band, the Inbreds, actually was just it was a two-member group. It had a guy who played bass named Mike O'Neill and a drummer named Dave Ulrich. And so their first albums are just them playing like bass and drums. Hmm. But... O'Neill had this really interesting bass technique where he played chords on the bass. Oh, okay. So he would he would do like notes, like he would play notes, but also do like full chords while he was playing. So he cr- played it almost like it was a guitar. Interesting. And so this song isn't like a great example of that because the album It's Sitting Near the Bush had like extra um, instrumentation on it. So they had uh, guitars and keyboards and violin. Like on this song, they had someone playing strings oh, okay. and they had horns on it. And which might be a, a decision they maybe just wanted to expand their sound. It was produced by a, a guy named Lincoln Fong, who was part of the British label 4AD. He had worked with the Cocteau Twins, actually helped build their studio. And he's a bit of a studio, like engineering wonk, kind of a smart guy at that. And he also worked for Pete Townsend and did a lot of work for The Who later on, doing um, like remixes and stuff for them. So I don't know if it was his choice to bring in like more in- instrumentation or if the band just wanted to kind of expand their sound a little bit feeling they'd already put out two albums of you know just them with bass and drums not that if you listen to stuff from say combinator that it sounds like i was surprised to learn that they just had a bass and, bass and drummer in their group because that's actually a really full sound that they would get with mm-hmm. such a limited instrumentation and maybe i can't think of a song off the top of my head that i want to play but i might play a song i might just play a song from combinator that features just the bass and, and drums so people can get an idea of what what they sounded like normally uh, there are some songs in there that are quite good. I just can't think of one off the top of my head, but I think I'll play it right now, and then we'll come back. Okay. So we're going to hear a song. I don't know what it is. 
All right. I'll put it in the, in the show notes okay. after I decide. But um, <clears throat> so everyone, here's the song, and then we'll be right back. So that was the unknown track at this point. <laughs> we'll figure this out later on. Mary hasn't heard it either, so she'll have to listen to the show to hear the song. So we won't comment on it other than to say that... What? What do you mean? I have to listen to the show? Yeah, I have to listen to the show. I'm not going to do that. Why not? Because then I have to hear myself. Yeah, this is really painful. I have, it to, is. I have to edit the show, Mary. Oof. And not just this show, could, many other shows. Could not do that. I've gotten used to it now. When it first started, it was really painful. Now, it's not enjoyable, but it's less painful. So yeah, so that was the Inbreds, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Let us move on. Let us return from the East Coast to the West Coast, since we're talking about there being not much from the West Coast. Well, here's a West Coast band for you, Mare. What? This is Hot Hot Heat. Oh. From their album Make Up the Breakdown, and the song is Get In or Get Out. Let's give this a listen. He never thought that he would leave so soon. Passed out in May, but then woke up in June. Hang it over July. 
Did you listen to Canadian songs because I listen to Canadian songs, or did you like them? Did you listen to them out of out of a sense of patriotism, or that did this kind of appeal to you? Like because you, you didn't know why. The last one. They just kind of appeal to you, and you don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I also found something that was kind of weird. Was there were in my first year of university? Yes. I had a vehicle that um, I could not plug my phone into to play music from my phone. Yeah. Um. And I didn't like always having to like bring and change out C's. Mm-hmm. And I had some friends who would listen to the radio. So I began listening to the radio in my car a bit more. Okay. And I remember um, there was a few songs that were played on the local radio stations that I liked yeah. enough to look them up. Yeah. And every time I did that, it was always a local Canadian band. Okay. <laughs> um, I think there was like two or three bit songs that I liked so much I looked them up. Yeah. And they were all bands from like Vancouver or Vancouver Island. Wow. So I think I just really like that sound. Hmm. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Our open, expansive music. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We do have a particular sound, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think that I mean, maybe people from other parts of the world can answer this question better than we can, but I feel like. There's like a distinctive sound to these bands that we're playing on this that, particularly the Halifax bands, that there's a particular sound. Like, mm-hmm. like even though they were, like particularly Sloan, were connected to the grunge scene, just by, not by, not by sound, I don't think, and not by, even by, by location, but purely by, by time. 
you know, they just happen to be by period. They just happen to be at the same time period as, mm-hmm. as grunge and kind of got thrown into the same giant, into the same pot, the cooking pot. Um, but I don't think that they have that sound to them. I mean, I know the Super Friends, for instance, purposefully avoided sounding like grunge by by taking out any any distortion in their guitars. Right. So all their guitars are played like with a clean sound. There's no fuzz or anything to them. They don't. Oh, there's no overdrive to the to the sound. And then you have a band like the Inbreds who are creating a very distinctive sound by just playing a bass and drums. You know, like which is really interesting. I guess there was a band Morphine that came out of Boston, I believe, that that featured no guitar but had bass and drums. I guess they would be similar, but their music was different sounding. Like they played a kind of more, to me, a more kind of slower, more more grunge influence, where I don't feel like you get that with with the Inbreds. And then, you know, it was popular, of course, with the White Stripes and the Black Keys are two bands I can think of that featured like a duo of guitar, though, guitar and drums. And that feels like more acceptable, like easier to like understand how it would work than bass and drums. But anyway. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of like accepted that a band or, yeah, like if you if you were having more than one artist in a band to play guitar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you can't have a band without guitar. Well, you can uh, have like a sing, like a soul, like someone who's just like on their own. Yeah, playing like music by themselves, not playing guitar, like you go or mm-hmm. whatever, like yeah, uh, another instrument. But yeah. like if you are in a band, you have to have a guitar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Beatles had guitars. Yeah, it's pretty rare. Like uh, I can think like the Ben mm-hmm. Folds Five, which is actually a trio, was piano, bass, and drums. You know, so that's unusual though that a band mm-hmm. like that, like even like Elton John had had a guitar player in his group. You know, as well as yeah. bass and drums. So yeah, it's uh, interesting. So anyway, so Hot Hot Heat uh, come from Victoria, BC. Mm-hmm. That's where they began. And like many musicians on the South Coast, they played in a variety of groups. In the West Coast? Oh, South Coast. Okay. West Coast, South Coast. Okay. It's called the South Coast. Okay. If you listen on to CBC Radio. Okay. They'll give you the weather for the South Coast. And that's All right. Us. That's fair. It's not the Pacific Northwest here because we're not in the North. We're in the South of our, of our country. It's true. We are. So if you call ourselves the Pacific Northwest, we're being very inaccurate. Yes, because technically the Northwest would be like the Yukon. That's right, or the Northwest Territories. Yeah, they would yes. probably re- resent us taking the name Northwest. Probably. For, for yeah, it's like when people call Seattle. <laughs> yeah. The Northwest. Yeah. You're like, well, what about Alaska? Yeah, yeah. What are they? Right. What are they? <laughs> the North Northwestiest. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's exactly what you say they're here. the most northwest and they're not really considered part of the, the pacific northwest they're not at all i know it's outrageous inaccurate and inaccurate and also unfair <clears throat> yes and also who cares that well yeah that that most of all <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah so they're in quite a few bands uh and a couple a couple of the guys and the bassist dustin hawthorne and the drummer steve bays they played together for a while, and then they met this another drummer, this guy named Paul Hawley. Now, Hawley bought this Roland Juno 6 keyboard and didn't know how to play it, and no one else in the group could figure out how to play it. And so he gave it to Steve Bass and said, well, you you, you can play this. And so and so Bass started playing this keyboard. And so then so then Hawley took over the drums from Steve Bass, and Steve Bass became the keyboard player. And then they lost the original vocalist, and so Steve Bass then became the keyboardist vocalist in that group. And then the sound changed. They went from being kind of like a hardcore band into becoming sort of like this more kind of post-punk sort of pop-punk kind of band. Mm. And then then they put out some singles around town, including the song Get In or Get Out. <coughs> and we played this song, right? Yep. Oh, okay, good. And then... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then um, the band signed to Sub, Sub Pop Records 
in 2001 and this was this this song was then included on their debut album i guess they re-recorded it with a producer whose name is jack and dino who uh it's kind of notable notable in music history for being the first producer of nirvana he produced nirvana's first album bleach as well as uh the debut albums for soundgarden and mudhoney a couple other grunge acts who who came out of uh, seattle in the in the grunge days so what do you think of hot hot heat mare i like them yeah i like this song a lot. Yeah, I think it's. I like good. bandages a lot. Bandages is very good. Bandages almost was a hit in England. Oh really? But then it came out during the uh, Second Iraq War, mm. and BBC banned it because oh. it mentioned bandages, and they thought it would be disturbing to people during the, during the war. Weird. Yeah, very strange. It's a weird reason to ban a song. <laughs> it was especially when it was on their, it was on their kind of they have like a some kind of special list that when ban- the, when a song ends up on it, it means it's in heavy rotation hmm. through the through the like it'll get 15 plays a day oh, okay yeah and but because of this ban it got taken off out of that rotation and it kind of stole their their uh, that's unfortunate there. it is it's 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 interesting <clears throat> i'm sure there's plenty of examples of this of bands that just through cer- you know bad circumstances end up you know not not famous yeah yeah that's true you have a band like like uh you know, Spinal Tap, who, you know, ordered a model of Stonehenge. Instead of getting a 12-foot model, got a 12-inch model. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> All right. So, Mayor, let's move on from, let's move on from, from. you know what? One time I was driving in, in Vancouver mm-hmm. and Steve Bays, the singer for for Hot Hot Heat, uh, walked in front of, walked in front of us. Oh, really? And the reason I knew it was him is because I saw him open up for Sloan. Unsurprising. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say because he was wearing a T-shirt that said "I am no it Scott Bays of Hot Hot Heat." It did Steve. I think it's Steve Bays. Yeah, Steve Bays of Hot Hot. No, he didn't. But he's very he's very distinctive looking. And no, because he was young at that time, so he was as thin as a pencil when he had big curly hair. Okay. So he, he had that classic musician body, a right. sort of a big head with with yeah. a small body, skinny body, <laughs> and he had big hair. And he was just walking across the street with other other band members. Uh, they'd moved to Vancouver by this point. And then uh, I recognized him because I'd seen him open up for Sloan a few days before that. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, that's Steve Bays from Hot Hot Heat. Cool. A band I saw open up for Sloan. Don't ask me what tour that was, though, everyone, because I do not remember. What, uh, what, uh, which album of Hot Hot was it? It was the first album. They would have been touring this album. <clears throat> what year did that come out? 2002. I was going to say one, but 2002. Okay. So do you think it was probably... That's the problem. Pretty Together. Well, that came out in 2001. Pretty oh, okay. Together came out in 2001. So maybe, who knows what they were touring then. They could have just been touring for the heck of it. But they don't know. Yeah, like, that's true. Who knows. Touring to make some money. They used to come to town quite a bit. They don't come as quite often as they used to. Although they... They're yeah. coming to town next weekend. Yeah. Are you going to go to it? Or are you going to go to it? Oh, my? Yeah. If I if you buy me a ticket. <laughs> or if you buy me eight. I would like to go. Is that right? Yes. We'll think about it. All right. Then. No problem. <clears throat> okay. Let's... uh. Now that we've decided whether we're going or not to a concert, let's move on to the next song. Believe it or not, everyone, here's another group that I saw. Open for Sloan? Open for Sloan. <laughs> Wowza. Really, um, and uh, I was pretty happy because I, I really like the song. I really like the song by them. I'd only heard one song by them at this, this point. But this is a song that I really like. This let's... is uh, The Constant Lover. Oh, yeah. From 2004. Yeah. This by is, whom? This is Magneta Lane. Let's give them a listen, everyone.
We're back from Magneta Lane. I always pronounce it Magneta Lane. Maybe it's Magneta. I don't Actually, know. Actually, I read it as Magenta Lane for a very, very long time. Yes, I can see I... why. Well, because Magneta is not a word. No. But Magenta is a word. That's true. And it's just two letters different. Yeah. And you know when your brain just fixes a word? <laughs> yes. yes. You I know? Do. Sure. Or like when you're reading, when you've written something and you put two thes in it. Yeah. And your brain like skips the second the. That's why I called you many for so many years. Oh, yeah. I kept forgetting there was an R. I thought it was, a, I thought it was an N. <laughs> you're creating a world where Mary is not a, it's not a common name, Dad. It makes no sense. That's true. That's a pretty common name. Um, so actually seeing Magneta Lane, I almost called them Magenta Lane after I put that in my head. <laughs> seeing Mag, uh, Magneta Lane, I saw them open for Sloan. It actually led to one of my most embarrassing moments at a Sloan concert. Oh, Was you it know? the one where you got kicked out? I didn't. Get, I didn't get kicked out of the show. You got kicked to the back. Though. I got kicked to the side of the show because what what happened is I had a I had I had a great spot in front of the stage, right in front of where Chris Chris Murphy would stand and sing. I knew where he stood and sang because I'd been to many concerts, as you can tell from the number of different opening acts I've seen open for Sloan. And so I was just standing there. We watched Magneta Lane perform. There was maybe six people, including your mom and I, standing in front of the stage to watch them perform. Mm-hmm. Then. And I never stand right at the very front of the stage. And I sh- maybe I should think about that because it's actually a pretty good place to to hold on to your spot. Right. But I like to be back a little bit so I can hear the music better. And so, but I had the perfect, like, cl- you know, fairly close to the stage, center stage, mm-hmm. ready for the show. Yeah. Then this guy came along with his girlfriend and he proceeded to not just stand near me, but stand leaning against me to try and push me out of the spot I was standing in. Mm-hmm. And there's literally no one else around us. Yeah. No one at all. We wanted that spot. He knew it was the best one. It was the best spot. So he's like leaning on me. And I, I could, he was leaning on me so hard, I could lean against him and lift my leg up and not fall over. Like that's how much he was leaning against me. Like he was like, like he was at an angle to me, trying to push me <laughs> with his elbow into me. Now, I am a pretty easygoing person, as you know, Mare. Yes, true. But I do, I will lose my temper. Yes. I will sometimes throw things. Yes. Or, in this case, hip check someone. Because I was so fed up with being have being pressed against, so I hip checked this fellow, and I because he was off balance because he was leaning against me so much, he like flew like fifteen feet away from me, <laughs> and then he was mad. And by this point, of course, I wasn't that mad anymore. Yeah, I because my anger lasts about five seconds. It's true. And then I'm over it. So I was like, well, that's enough. I, I body checked this guy, but he was like, that's not enough. So he came running back at me, and then I was like, oh, this is. Not good. So then as he came running towards me, I grabbed his arm. Well, I grabbed, like, he had his arm out and I grabbed his arm and I looped my arm around it. So I was, I had his arm like in a, in an arm hold or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what I did. And then I bent him backwards and I grabbed his throat with mm-hmm. my other hand yes. and I squeezed it uh-huh. and I said, quit pushing on me. Yeah. And then I let go and, you know, pulled him upright and that was it. Yeah. Because I think I scared him. Because he didn't expect me to do that, I guess. <laughs> I well, know. it's fair. <laughs> and so then, so I'm like, well, that's it. But no. Then Sloan's bouncer came out. And here's the thing, everyone. Sloan run a tight ship. Like They do not like audience fracases mm-hmm. or bad behavior in their yes. shows. I've been to several shows where people who were, you know, acting like idiots in the crowd, mm-hmm. whether they were harassing women mm-hmm. or banging into people, like mm-hmm. trying to start like a, a one-man ma- one mosh pit. <laughs> I've seen them like have those people removed, or try to fight Chris Murphy, or try to fight Chris Murphy at a like show, like that, that Seattle show. That's right. Uh, so 
I guess I wasn't even thinking about it until the bouncer came out, and I was like, "Uh oh!" And I thought we were gonna get—I thought I was gonna get kicked out of the show. Yeah, I was really afraid. But no, he just made me move. He made us both move to opposite sides of the stage. Time out. So what? <laughs> so what started as me having the best spot? This guy could have had like the second best spot yeah. standing beside us. Yeah, became neither of us had a good spot, and both of us had to watch the show at an oblique angle from the side of the stage. Do you think he learned his lesson? No, he's an idiot. That's fair. It's probably accurate. Maybe too. now he did. Maybe he's a nicer person now. He's probably he probably listens to this podcast. Well, I hope I hope he does, and he remembers the story. He probably remembers it totally differently. He's like, no, no, I grabbed you by the throat. <laughs> so, um, not a good look, you know. What's that? Me, me doing that to him? No, just the whole situation. Oh no, I got, I don't really like fights. I, you know, that's not something I, I actively seek out. But in fact, I've not really ever been in a fight. At, like a punching sort of fight because I, I don't, my anger doesn't last long enough to go to that, to get to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess if the other person didn't want to back down, I would have to do it. But like in this case where I just sort of like tried to contain, contain the situation, you know, by, by threatening his life. <laughs> in his throat. I didn't threaten I his mean, life. I just said, don't, you, don't push me. You grew up with brothers. You're used to wrestling. I'm used to wrestling and to big all out fights and to have things thrown at me. So yeah. yes, I'm used to all that. Having two brothers who are very similar in age to you. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a all out, it's a knockdown drag out affair from, <laughs> from birth to the end of, end of your living at home. Yeah. So, um, so this band was formed in Toronto. Do you think, oh. the, do you think the house that you and your brothers grew up in was just like burned to the ground when they saw the, like the punches through the drywall everywhere? Nope. It's still there. It's still there. In fact, I've met the woman who bought the house. Oh, really? The, after we left. Yeah. She's a friend of uh, someone I know at church. Oh, cool. And I guess she saw my name in a Facebook post or a Facebook comment on her oh, okay. on her friends, on our mutual friends or a mutual person that we both know, uh, and was like, "Are you, you know, a Dedrick who lived at this address yeah. in North Delta?" Blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Yep." Because I bought your house when you moved out. That's so funny. Yeah, it's such a small world. And she said, "Yeah, we could see. We still. It said when we moved out, there was still the the height measurements were still in because <laughs> we didn't do it in the kitchen." Where it would get painted over or wallpapered over, or whatever we did it in um, what we called the locked room, although it wasn't locked. It, in it was a name that was a transplanted from our home in Coquitlam. Oh, okay. Where we where my where my mom's canning jars were kept in a locked mm. room from an incident when I was three years old, where I went into the room and started dropping the jars on top of each other and breaking <laughs> them. That's iconic. That's an iconic story. It is iconic. So it became the locked room after that because it became a locked room, so mm-hmm. that I couldn't get to the jars and have my my baby fun. And so, but this room, which was always unlocked, was still called the locked room. But anyway, so we would do our growing up measurements in this room. And so they were, they were still there, she said, when she moved out. That's so funny. I thought that was kind of interesting. And then, yeah, I think, when, I don't think my parents bothered to like even fix the doors. Oh, really? And stuff that had been punched and kicked and huh. and slammed, slammed off of its hinges and things like that. I guess they were like, well, we could spend a bunch of money to fix this or we could just like... Yeah. Take a loss. Just yeah, because it's a, probably a very small amount of money, and most most people would probably change those sort of things anyhow. Yeah, because they were pretty bland. They're pretty bland doors. They were just right. just the blanks, you know, mm-hmm. not like fancy doors that they have nowadays for interior doors for right. houses. But anyway, let me just tell you about Magneta Lane, Mary. Oh yeah, sorry. Or Magneta Lane. Whatever. Not Magenta Lane though. Not Magenta Lane. Also not Magnets Lane. <laughs> not Magnets Lane. Not Cyan Lane. Mm-hmm. Or what's the other one? Chartreuse. No, I think it's the same. Doesn't matter. Yellow and black. Formed uh, in 2003 in Toronto. Why are you looking at like that? CM- yellow and black? CMYK. Cyan, magenta, yellow, and K, which is black. 
Those are the colors that make up the CMYK printing. Oh. As opposed to RGB, red, green, blue, which is computer images are done in that. But do you care? Am I speaking to you as if I am a colorist who is working on a comic book right now? Yes. Or a graphic novel? Mm. I am. Because I am everyone, in case you didn't know that. I'm sure you did. In the midst, in the midst of, of doing Sparks 2. Yeah, Dad's, what, you need to be done that in uh, 10 days? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Uh, they're an all-female band made up of two sisters, Lexi Valentine. Cool name. On vocals and guitar, and Nadia King on drums. Cool name. Which is weird that they have two different last names, but maybe Lexi Valentine is. And then, uh, and then their friend French on bass. And I really like, oh, so apparently they formed a band after going to a concert, and they got to meet the band backstage, and they're like, this is really cool, but I would rather be on stage than in the audience. So they started a band, and a year later they released this EP. Cool. And I, and they're pretty obviously pretty simple sound. You know, it's pretty kind of like like um what we call it kind of like a pop punk kind of sound. But I really like the the vocals because that's one of my favorite kind of sounds of 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 women singing is that very conversational style of singing. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I like it when they sound kind of like um I mean, obviously it's not nice when you're in school and you have to deal with it. But I always love that sound of like mean girls, you know, who just speak to you in that really mean way, like that dismissively distant hostility. Yes. And I really, I don't, I would not, I, you know, I would never want to experience it again. No. But in retrospect, I think it's really hilarious. <laughs> that whole kind of like attitude. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. attitude? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so funny. I mean, it's not funny when you're, when you're younger and like some woman, you don't even know her maybe. And she just sees you in the hallway, walking down the hallway. And then she just like... In like three words, you know, like ruins your the rest of your year, <laughs> you know. But it's kind of it's kind of an amazing skill, you gotta say. And there's something kind of like I don't know. It's so weird that sort of that kind of hostility to humans. Like I, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's like a carefully a carefully like developed like turtle shell to protect oh, themselves. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know? But it's just such a magnificent performance mm. that I really admire it now. But like I say, I didn't admire it when I was a teenager. <sighs> nope. That's something you wanted to avoid. Yeah. But there were those sort of girls who could just like, like, just like cut you off at your knees with a, just, <laughs> just like a look or a, or a phrase. Yeah. You're just like, oh. And when someone else was getting it, you're like, oh man, I'm glad that's not me. <laughs> no way do I want to be there. Oh man. All right. Enough about Mean Girls. The movie? You know what? Mean Girls, the movie, doesn't get that that kind of personality in it like those girls were told they're mean but they're not they're not mean like the kind of mean girls that i knew in school like, mm, yeah. the girls i knew in school who are mean that was like their job to just to say that kind of stuff to you yeah you know to see you walking down the hallway and be like nice jacket but this is a tone of voice mm. you're like i'm throwing this jacket away i guess <laughs> there's a good episode of community about that okay where um Abed, they the the women of the study group use Abed's um autism i guess mm. and his his ability to like notice flaws okay in people yeah um as a way to uh to shut down the mean girls i see but then they become the girls yeah of course yeah 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 also hillary duff is a has a a cameo in it as the lead oh really mm-hmm. funny quite different from her character on lizzie mcguire lizzie mcguire yes who had been the victim of the mean girls yes <laughs> I can't remember the mean girl's name. It was like Chelsea. Hmm. I don't remember that show very well. No. Either. Just remember that part of it was animated and part of it wasn't. Yes. All right. So let's move on, Mare. Okay. To another artist who, believe it or not. Is Canadian? And? You saw them open for. True. So let's give a listen to Rufus Wainwright and a song from his very first album, which was also called Rufus Wainwright. And the song that I chose 
and this is a hard choice for me, but this is one I went with, April Fools. So here Good. we go, everyone. Good. Your pockets to bleed on St. Valentine's And you sat in a chair thinking Boy, I'm such a prince Well, life's a train That goes from February on Day by day But it's making a stop
So that was April Fools by Rufus Wainwright, which is not my favorite of his, but I do love like the song quite a bit. What's your favorite? Uh... Beauty Mark. Beauty Mark. Beauty Mark. That's a good song, but it's, it's more of a kind of a it's more of a kind of a, a goof than it is a song. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, it is a good song. I really love. I know you're not a lyric person, but I really love the lyrics in that song. Mm-hmm. There's a mm-hmm. really good. Um, it's him singing about the differences between him and his mom. Yeah. And there's a really good part where he's uh, he's talking about how he he did not have homemade clothes and homemade curtains made of the same material <laughs> yes. that I love. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, that feels like a very, very uh, different generation. Yeah, it feels, and it feels like very, like, um, like early Canadian. Yeah. Like early, like Ontario. Sure. The other thing was uh, that I love in that song was that he did not growing up um, being afraid of the nuns, mm. which his mom did, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Went to a parochial school. Went to Catholic school. Yeah. Probably. Which uh, co-host of Sneaky Dragon, Ian Boothby, went to Catholic school when he lived in Montreal. Mm, yes. Because they're not from Ontario, they're from Montreal, the McGarrigals. Oh, okay. So Rufus Wainwright, let's just talk about Rufus Wainwright a little bit, who this song was by. The song, as I said, was called is April Fools from his first album, which came out in 2000, oh, sorry, 1998. And Rufus Wainwright is the son of... Loudon Wainwright. Loudon Wainwright III, yeah. And Martha... Nope. What? Kate McGarrigal. Oh, Martha's her sister, right? Martha is his sister, that's right. Oh, is his sister, sorry. Yeah. Martha is... Rufus Wainwright's sister? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So What um, was Kate McGarrigal's sister? Anna. Anna. So Kate and Anna McGarrigal were a very popular uh, pair of singers who came from Canada, or, uh, from Montreal. From Lower Canada. Lower Canada, yes. <laughs> and, not, they're not that old. <laughs> and uh, Loudon Wainwright the third, of course, being a rather well-known, I guess well-known, I don't know how, I mean, he had a he had a real career in the 70s, and I don't know what, I don't know what he did to it. He must have drank it away or something, but he... Was simultaneously a folk, like folk artist. He had a big hit with the song "Dead Skunk," which was a big hit, even though it's kind of a novelty song. And he probably didn't write it to be a big hit, but it was a big hit for him. So he had that going for him. He and he is a really good songwriter, like a really good songwriter, but also a really good actor. Oh, really? He performed on Mash. I remember appearing on Mash. He did movies. Uh, the last thing I saw him, and he played a sheriff in the first season of True Detective. Oh, really? So, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, you know, he had like he had a career. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know if it maybe just, you know, the singer songwriter thing died and he just he couldn't trans translate it into or he just didn't make enough money in his career anyway, because his music was pretty, I mean, pretty offbeat. You know, Canada didn't have room for another Leonard Cohen type. Yeah, but he's not Canadian. He's American and he oh. performed in America. Was, oh, OK. Yeah. So, in fact, yeah, because. Rufus Wainwright was born in the United States. Oh, right, because he lived. He grew up in New York State. He spent some time there, but he actually his parents divorced when he was three, and so he grew up in Montreal. Okay. But as a teenager, he, he did lived. he did go to I guess a prep school in called Millbank in okay. in upper upper New York in upstate New York, which is kind of close to Montreal anyways, or close yeah. to the border anyway. So what the heck? But but probably you know he was probably went back and forth from his dad to. To his mom's, although he mostly spent most of his time with his mom. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he had a very good relationship with his dad. It doesn't he's sound like, like a yeah. difficult father. Yeah, yeah. There's that Martha Wainwright song that pretty the title of which gives away pretty much what she thought of him. Which was uh, bloody mother effing idiot. <laughs> yep, there it is. Yeah, and Rufus has a song called "Dinner at Seven on his Want One album, and uh, that also is a pretty, uh, pretty heartfelt but scarred. Mm. Um, recollection of 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 life with his father although 
I've read interviews with Loden Wainwright, who does not sound like he need, he wants to defend himself from this sort of stuff. But he just says, you know, you remember things differently from how other people experience them. And he says, I don't remember it feeling that way to me. So, you know, he says, but I can't speak to their experience. Interesting. So, um, yeah. So Rufus began performing at a very young age. He played piano when he started playing piano when he was six. And when he was 14, he, he wrote a song and performed it for this uh, Canadian movie called uh, Tommy Tricker and the Stamp Traveler, a song called I'm a Runnin'. And because of that, he was nominated for a Genie Award, which is the, which was, I don't know if it's still called a Genie, but that was once the kind of like the film, like kind of like the Canadian equivalent of the Oscars, as if we could compete with such a thing. But yeah, called the Genie Awards. And he was nominated for uh, Best Achievement in Music, Original Song. And also same year was nominated for a Juno Award for as most promising male vocalist of the year. So that was when he was 14. So that's pretty impressive. That is. But it still took him a while to like kind of get it together. And it wasn't until he uh, produced a demo with a friend of the family named Pierre Marchand, who was a producer and had produced some work of his mom, mom and aunt's and who had later produced um, Wainwright's second album, Poses. Okay. But he produced a demo for, for Rufus and Rufus sent it to his dad. And his dad was impre- quite impressed by it, and he passed it on to his friend Van Dyke Parks, the famous uh, musician who worked on Smile with Brian Wilson and was a uh, pretty interesting musician in his own right, very very iconoclastic, interesting musician. And Van Dyke Parks was, was very impressed with it as well, so he passed it on to his friend, the legendary producer Lenny Warrenker, who at that time was kind of leading the sort of the talent, eye for talent for DreamWorks Records. Oh, okay. And so... He well, was so impressed. That explains how Hallelujah. Right? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's because right. Because it was Rufus Wainwright's version that was in Trek. Yeah, was was it was it his version that was in the movie, or was it his version that was on the soundtrack album? I think his version's in the movie, isn't it? Okay, because I know that it's different. In oh, is that right? Oh, maybe the, it is the on the soundtrack sound... album versus the movie. Oh, maybe it is on just on the soundtrack album then. Hmm. Have to look. I yeah, I kind of uh, avoid that song now. It's kind least. of it's pretty basic. It's just been overplayed. Yeah, it's been overdone. And I mean, it's also not his original song. Who? Oh, uh, Rufus. Rufus yeah. It's right? Like, it's a song. cover, which yeah. is great. You know, it's a very beautiful song, but Rufus Wainwright is such a fantastic, like, songwriter mm-hmm. that he doesn't really need... Um, but he sure does like to do covers. He does a lot of them. Yeah. I have a, I have an entire CD of covers of, that he's done. Oh, really? Like a kind of a bootleg one. Oh, okay. That, cool. That uh, David M. made for me. Oh, nice. Yeah, because he just collected all these songs. And so he said, oh, do you want this CD that I made of all these songs put together on one disc? And I said, oh, we... And so he gave them to me. I mean, mm-hmm. lots of, like, Sufjan really likes to do covers as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like, we yeah people ask you to do stuff and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. that sounds fun. Yeah, like, hey, do you want to be in this Joni Mitchell tribute and do your version of Free Man in Paris? Yeah. He's like, sure, I can sure. do that. Yeah, yeah so so then Warrenker took uh, Wainwright and he put him together with this producer named John Bryan, who's kind of like this, I don't know if I don't want to call him eccentric, but he's kind of like an eccentric producer from, from LA. He's produced a lot of bands, but he, especially at this time, he was like, he seemed to be really enamored with like obscure keyboards, obscure electronic keyboards and stuff like that, like the Optagon and things like that, which mm-hmm. were which are very popular. Like the Optagon is kind of like a a seventies version of the of the Mellotron, where you would but you would put in little little um, discs in it instead of uh, little records into it, and then those would act as like the sampler for the sounds that you produce. It was, a, it was kind of an interesting thing, but he was really into those. So like when you listen to the songs on on Rufus Rainwright, they ha- a lot of them have these like kind of like weird. Um, organ parts to them and stuff, and that's a real John Bra- Bryan touch. But apparently, Warren Kurt just like gave them carte blanche and just said, "Well, go and 
make some, make some songs, like figure out what, what you want to do and how you want to sound and, and what you, you know, and, and this gave them like a budget an unlimited, like, I don't know what the kind of budget he had to do this album. It's insane <laughs> because they, they just worked in studios from, from 96 and 97. They created 62 songs. Holy. Spent $700,000. Oh my God. And then they narrowed down the 62 songs to 12 songs for this the album. Is the Laws, making their album The Laws. <laughs> but it's 62 different songs. Yeah. It's not all the same songs. Like The Laws is like 12 songs done 36 <laughs> times. Well, they did, I think they did about 20 songs. Uh, but they did do those 20 yeah. songs both times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. With like eight different producers and like 12 different songs. I mean, can you imagine that? $700,000 in studio time. I mean, those were well. the days. Those were the days when. Like record companies were willing to willing to and had the money to put yeah. into to to music. Like it is, it's just not like that anymore. Like no no record company on earth on earth could afford to do that. Like yeah. not at all. It's crazy to even people think of it. People don't buy CDs anymore. It's all about streaming. People don't buy music anymore. Yeah. Like yeah, and all about streaming. Streaming doesn't pay any money. So mm-hmm. uh, the, you know the people. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that. Record companies make make money from the streaming it's the artists that don't make money yeah. from the streaming because the record company always gets the lion's share and they also get you know like when you pay seven hundred thousand dollars in studio time the record company is fronting that money they're not they're not giving you that money no you have to pay them that you money have to back. pay them that money back yeah. so yeah they probably didn't explain that to rufus when he was spending all this time but who knows the album wasn't a huge success but his career has been pretty successful so he probably made the money he back. opened for sloan so yeah who also he had his movie in a major motion picture a song in a... Or, sorry, a yeah. song in a major motion yeah, picture. Yeah. Uh, and apparently, uh, John Bryan and, and uh, Rufus, Rufus Wainwright uh, butted heads occasionally during the making of it. It wasn't always, like, a the best partnership. Because I think Bryan felt like uh, Wainwright's... Was spending too much money? Not that. That his arrangements were too complicated for what he was doing. So oh, it would hmm. cover up his voice with all this really elaborate keyboard instrumentation. He's like, you don't need that. Like, you mm-hmm. want your voice to be carrying the song. Not he like a bunch a of piano. Fantastic yeah, he has voice. a fantastic voice. You want a bunch of piano flourishes covering it up. So yeah, they would they they um they didn't get along in some ways, but in other ways they work together very well. But I mean, that's like a pretty um, it's a pretty like kind disagreement. Yeah, yeah. To be like, we're fighting because I think your voice is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you want to cover it up with your really elaborate arrangements, you nut. <laughs> your yeah, it's like the his uh um his complaints were. Your voice is too nice, yeah. and um, you're doing too much music, or mm-hmm. like your music is too. You're working too hard on it. Yeah, those are yeah. The album itself is a weird kind of mix because it has Don Bryan produced most of the songs on it, but some of the songs have these really lush Van Dyke Parks arrangements, and other songs are more like pop or you know kind of rock arrangements. It's a it's a weird mix, and apparently the album itself was inspired by. Wainwright star-crossed three-year relationship with a, this guy who was straight and a drug addict named Danny. Mm. And that's why there's Danny Boy on the album. Oh, okay. And also the song... Uh, Which is a fantastic... Oh, yeah. I know. I was so torn between Danny Boy and this and this song. And I don't I don't know why I went with the table. I think because of time. I had to choose based on time because I needed to fit other songs on. And so I went with a slightly shorter song, even though it's still kind of long. I yeah. didn't know that, um, that Rufus Wainwright had a... Half sister. Yes. Who's the daughter of Susie Roach? Yeah, yeah, because his dad was married to Susie Roach for a while. And so, yeah, she's also a performer as well. She has been singing with, uh, because Rufus Wainwright's sister, Martha, is also, also another recording star in her own right. She does, she's really good as well. She does great albums. And in fact, when I saw, when I saw Rufus Wainwright open for Sloan, it was basically a solo performance that he did. He had a, 
grand piano on stage. How Sloan got a grand piano around Canada, I have no idea, but they had a grand piano on stage and he sang with, but he would, some of the songs, his sister Martha would come out and, and accompany him. Oh, okay. But most of, many of the songs he sang by himself, just him and acoustic piano. It was really great. Really great. Um, yeah, that was, that one I can remember because that was the, the, uh, Navy Blues tour. Oh, which okay. I, which I saw at the, that's a um, good, uh, saw the Croatian good... Cultural Center. It was an all ages gig as well. Oh, fun. That's, that's a good combo of, uh, of bands or of, of, um, Navy Blues is fantastic. Yeah. And Rufus Wainwright, I feel like, is a really interesting choice for opening for that. Yeah, yeah. Which is like a very, it's a kind of like a, it's not heavier, mm. but it's like a bit, yeah. I feel like it doesn't have as many like slower songs of their, mm-hmm. their second album. It like had more slow songs. Yeah, yeah. Navy Blues. Yeah. No, it is, uh, that was a good concert. Well, anyway, so let's, uh, let's move on from Rufus and we'll uh, take a listen to Guess Who Mare. Can you guess which band um, we're going to hear now? Not Sloan. Local Rabbits. Local Rabbits. You're right. This is uh, 61 Days from my, still my favorite uh, Local Rabbits Have album. Have heard 61 Days yet? Nope. Wowza. So this is, you can't touch this from uh, 1996. Let's give it a listen, everyone. We've heard it before, but we'll hear it again. Here's uh, Local Rabbits. You've heard it before and you will hear it
Alright, Mare, so that was Local Rabbits. I'm not going to ask you what you think of Local Rabbits, because I know that you like them a lot. Is that not true? It is true. But I'm going to assume that you like that song quite a bit? I do. It's a good song. It's a very good song. I know song. it's your favorite Local Rabbit song. It's not my favorite Local Rabbit it's song. It's not. Oh, is no. it Sally and Saldanal? Sally and Saldanal would be my favorite okay. Local Rabbit song. I don't know why I thought this one was your favorite. I mean, I think it's pretty good. Uh, this is actually, I think, one of the few uh, Pete Elkis songs on this oh, album. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So most most of the songs on here are by Ben Gunning. Yeah. So we get his strangulated singing yes. style. Yeah. This song has uh, Pete Elkis' more kind of more sort of normal rock and roll yeah. stylings. Yeah. And this song I think of more as like kind of like a pop song or a, a single song, which is kind of why I chose some of the songs on here I chose because I felt like they were still representative of the music I like, but not so kind of off cut songs like right. sort of off the beaten track ones, but more like a song that like murder records themselves would have chosen this song as the single for this album. You know? Okay. Yeah. And that's why I chose it. But yeah. Right. You're not putting on here uh, the res. Their song about tr- their their diss song about Trent Reznor. Yeah, that's not a song yeah. I'm gonna play for you. I, to be honest, I don't even think that song is that great. I think it's so so. No, it's it's funny. It's no West Island Rockers. It's a, it's a comical concept for a song. Yeah, it is comical, but concept for a song. yeah, it's not a great song. Yeah, it's just a yeah, it's just kind of a put down, a put down. But what the heck? Why not? Musicians can make fun of other musicians. That's perfectly allowed, I guess. Um, this song also features in it an instrument that was is the only overdub on on the album, which is the keyboards. The album was played live in the studio because that's cool. the cheapest way you can record an album. Mm-hmm. It's very fast. You just set up your mics in the best way you can to record everyone at the same time. Have the band play the song a few times and then you then you dust off, you rub the dust off your hands in a kind of exaggerated way and you say, all done. So- Move on to the next song. But yeah, so because Pete Elkis plays keyboards as well as guitar, he uh, put on the, put the uh, keyboard parts in after. So let's move on from Local Rabbits here. I'm sure right. everyone enjoyed that song, but there's no need to belabor who the Local Rabbits are. We know who they are. We've talked about them enough. We, everyone who's listening to this knows that we love them. Yeah. And you also love them, listeners, because <laughs> we love them so much. That's right. We have taught you to like rabbits. Yes. You cannot listen to the same band this many times, <laughs> not have some sort of affection for them. That's true. That's true. So let us move on to the band Metric. Ooh, metric. And their song Monster Hospital. Uh, so this song, I think the song has a, a great beginning. I love the start of this song. It's so fantastic. So let's hear it. So yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. 
So that was Metric with Monster Hospital from their 2005 album, Live It Out. And guess what, Mary? What? I never saw Metric open for Sloan. What? But I did see them. I saw them live as the, as the, as the uh, what do you call it? The main act, or whatever you want to call it, at uh, the Commodore. And I got to tell you, that concert was so packed. Oh, really? Crazy packed. I literally, I was so squished at the front of the stage, I lifted my feet off the floor and I was held up in the air by the people <laughs> squishing against me. It was crazy how many people were there. Wow. And what was crazy is all, it was all young girls. That makes sense. I was just in this mass of young women just like crushed yeah. against me. It's pretty exciting, actually. I really enjoyed it. Well, yeah. Metric is like a pretty fun. Yeah. Like, and like, they're fun and they're like loud and mm-hmm. kind of empowering. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they were. Emily Haynes, the lead singer, is uh, this fantastic performer, and uh, oh, okay. the whole band is uh, was really good. Yeah, and as inter- you know, I think of the band as Canadian. They are just they thought of as a Canadian band. They get mm-hmm. they get the what's now called the Polaris Prize here in Canada. And what did it used to be called? I don't know what it was before. I don't know if it's an alternate to the Juno. I'm pretty sure there's still the Junos, so I don't know what it what it, what it means. And um, what are you looking at, Mary? Weird sound. Is it a dripping sound? It sounds like a frog. Oh, there's a frog who lives near the house. He like near the shop, I should say. He likes to make noises. Oh, maybe he's in the wall. <laughs> Did you go a courting? <laughs> okay, sorry. We can keep going. So I think of the band as Canadian, and and um, but they're they're mostly not. Oh, really? They're mostly. From they're kind of like States. the Ar- they're kind of like the Arcade Fire, and they're like a bunch of transplanted Americans who oh. who came to Canada because Canada's way cooler than the states, and That's everyone knows that. Don't disagree with me, Can- Americans. So um. Yeah, like the singer-instrumentalist. She plays guitar and keyboards and whatnot. Emily Haynes. She was born in New Delhi, in India, to American parents. But then they moved to Canada. So I don't know what... Dad's probably a hippie. I guess the, Dad apparently contributed lyrics to an album by the jazz pianist Carla Blay. So, cool. Yeah, that's cool. And then uh, the bassist Joshua Winstead and the drummer, Jewel Scott Key, are American as well. It's only um, the guitarist James Shaw, who's Canadian. Oh, okay. But the band was formed in Toronto. And they live in Canada, and they work in Canada, so I guess they're Canadian. So they started as a duo featuring Haynes, Emily Haynes, and the guitarist James Shaw. And they worked under the name Mainstream. Okay. They released an EP under that name. And then they were working on a song called Metric, and they decided that was a better name for the band, so they changed the name of the band to Metric. Metric is a good name for the band. It is a good name for the band. It kind of has like makes it feel kind of electronic, kind of mm-hmm. in a way, even though Metric is not really electronic. But it gives it a sound like kind of modern. Yeah, a, totally. A modern kind of... They do have like that element of sort of, even though the song is very guitar driven, they also have sort of a synth kind of part to their, yeah. their sound. And so this was their second album, but it's actually their third album. Because what's interesting is they recorded their very first album, which was called Grow Up and Blow Away, was delayed releasing by the record company and wouldn't come out for another six years. So they oh, recorded wow. it in 2001 and it didn't come out until 2007. And here's a little trivia, bit of trivia for you, Mary, that I thought was interesting. Mm. Emily Haynes attended UBC, the University of British Columbia. Oh, the same time as me what yeah oh I, wow i did not meet her but she was there cool it's a very big place it's hard to meet people there that unless yeah. you're in the same class so yeah so let's let's leave metric behind okay and my memories of that great concert that i saw them play in so exciting and so hot so- and so packed i've ne- literally never felt like a sardine before and that was <laughs> the only other concert i was ever at that was like that crazily packed was the pogues and that was just because once again i was up near the front of the stage and it was just crazy but okay uh this is the new pornographers and the song The Laws Have Changed from their album Electric Version from 2003. You ready for this, Mayor? Yes, let's hear. Let's hear it, everyone. One, two, three. It was crime at the time. 
So that was the new pornographers and their their song "The Laws Have Changed" from Electric Version. Mm-hmm. Mare, what do you think of new pornographers? What do you think of this song? What do you think of the new pornographers? I like the song, and I I like um, most of the work of the new pornographers. Mm-hmm. I did get kind of tired of them. Yeah. For a little while there. Yeah. Uh, just because I I don't know if I was listening to too much of them, mm. or if they got kind of popular and I was hearing them a lot or what. But I kind of was like over them for a little while. Yeah. 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 I understand. I feel like their albums are a mix of so-so and, and, and good songs. Yeah. Like most of the songs are written by Carl Newman, which, you know, it's a big load to carry sometimes. Oh, yeah. Because he also has a solo album. So he's like yes. trying to divvy up songs between two different projects. And then for this album, for instance, there's only one Dan Behar song on it. Mm-hmm. Nico Case doesn't, doesn't write any songs for the new pornographers. Mm-hmm. All her songs go on her solo, solo right. albums. So it's really just Carl Newman who's carrying the, you know, like this still has Nico Case singing on it. Like this song has her beautiful voice. I just love her voice on this oh, song. Oh yeah, she's great. And, but yeah, she doesn't really provide any songs. It's just Carl Newman doing the, doing the songs. AKA AC Newman. So I feel like we've talked about the new pornographers quite a bit, not necessarily because we've talked about the band, but because... Dan Behar from Destroyer is part of the band. And AC Newman, we've played a couple songs by him so far on the table. And, um, oh, Mary, I got to apologize to you because I said the name of the song wrong last time. The song from the last show, uh, Drink to Me, Babe, then was correct. I'm sorry. I wrote it down wrong and, and I apologize. Knew it. So, <laughs> so there you go, everyone. My mea culpa for this, this episode. Thank you for your apology, Father. You're welcome, dear. And so... We have kind of talked about them in kind of that way of like uh, what I call the via negativa, that idea that you describe God by describing what he isn't. We've done the same thing with the new pornographers. We've described them by describing what they aren't, which is they're not Destroyer and they're not AC Newman. <laughs> they're not but, Nico Case. They're not Nico Case. That's right. <laughs> they're a different thing. They're an amalgam of these groups because, and we've said it before, it's so expensive to live here. And it's, you know, and so bands are always like people, musicians here are always like members of more than one band. They're always like flitting between project and project, just hoping that one of them will have that lucky break and catch on somewhere. And that's what happened for, for new pornographers. The song Mass Romantic yes. came out and it just blew up, especially in England. It was really popular there. You probably heard it. You probably it heard Mass like, Romantic. Mass Romantic. That's Mass Romantic. Very good, dear. Thanks. You made it like a scat, like a jazz song. But <laughs> I don't know the lyrics. <laughs> no. Something about the radio. Yeah. But I don't Music know. on the radio. The radio. radio. <laughs> That's the part that I, you know. Yeah. I, of course, me with my lyrical... Yeah. Knowledge. Last night I was um, doing your lyrical blindness. It was so, so funny. I was doing a show with with uh, David M last night, and he got me up on stage to play percussion and sing on a couple songs, which I hadn't rehearsed. Mm. He just assumes that I I know these songs, I guess. But my memory for lyrics is so horrible. Yeah. And so one song we were doing was "Hang Fire," the Rolling Stone song. I don't think I've heard that song in like thirty years. Yeah. Since I was in my twenties when it came out, so I was just like, or even be earlier than that, I guess. And I was just like, okay. So I would let him do part of the song and then I would join in after that. And all the songs are like that. I, I knew Cecilia because we've sung that a few times. But then we also did um, Mendocino, the the song by uh, Doug Somm, 
by the uh, Sir Douglas Quintet, and which I really love that song, Mendocino. Mm-hmm. But I don't know the lyrics, of course, because I'm such a lyric dummy. So then I had to like listen to what he was singing and then to sort of imitate it. <laughs> that's pretty silly. You were like, let's do I, this one as a round. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I could go to his place and rehearse, but that would that would make it less fun for me, just showing up and having to like wing it <laughs> on stage in front of other people. That's the best place to wing it. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's new pornographers. I have nothing more to say about them. They're fun. They're great. They They're- often... Their songs, their song titles are often vaguely pornographic. That's kind of their their gimmick. Is it really? Yeah. Like what? Jackie dressed in cobras. That's pornographic? Kind of. She's wearing cobras. That's it. Mass Romantic. Okay. And others, I think. <laughs> What's this song called? The well, let me, let me say one more thing about the new pornographers. Okay. The Laws Have Changed. Yeah, I don't think that's pornographic. No, it's not. But let me just say, speaking of pornography, let me just mention, I don't know why this came up when I, because he's not a porn director, but, but Blaine Thurier, who plays keyboards in the new pornographers is a fantastic filmmaker as well as being keyboardist at new romantic um i mean he's done about four films i know i'll admit i've only seen two of them but both of them i think are thoroughly really like i've enjoyed thoroughly and think they're really great and worth, worth checking out if you can find them that's the problem of course one is called um male fantasy which is a great film it stars uh robert dayton who we'll hear from him in a minute or a couple of minutes, and then also um, Shane Nelkin, who played piano so fabulously on On the Table, the uh, A.C. Newman song. In this movie, and there's also a cameo from uh, Stephen Hamm, who we'll hear from soon enough, and and um, yeah, they they do this, uh, this is a really good movie, it's about, it's about like this guy who's like a real romantic, like a real romantic naive, and he keeps getting all this really bad advice from his friend, mm-hmm. and his friend, and he'll blow it, he will. He'll never get it right. But then his friend will be like doing this thing that he he recommended he do and just and being successful at it. It's a pretty good movie. And then the other movie that I enjoyed by Blaine Thurier is a film called Teen Lust, which is this movie about this teenage boy whose parents are Satanists, and he just thinks of it as like, and he treats it just like his parents are Christians, and he has to go to boring church. That's just what it is for him, right? It's like not unusual because he's grown up with it. Right. And it's just boring garbage that he has to like do, you know, like, oh, I got to go to the church of Satan at night. Ugh. But then it turns out that he's been, he's being, he has been bred through his life to be a human sacrifice to bring about the apocalypse. And because he's a virgin, he'll, he'll be this sacrifice. And when he discovers this, he, he somehow escapes the knife and then he has to like have sex with someone before he gets, uh, before he gets killed. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty good movie. It's worth, worth watching. Yes, it's fun. Uh, both those films are good. So anyway, let's move on to our next song. This is uh, The Super Friends, another band I like quite a bit. And I was going through a bit of a Super Friends phase at this point in my you life, were, obviously. Because I don't remember you talking about them much. Yeah. Um, around, like, outside of this time. Okay. I yeah. don't, like, I don't remember having heard of them a lot yeah. growing up. Yeah, interesting. So, yes, I obviously was going through a big phase. And I don't know why. I was. So maybe because I found one of their CDs used or something like that. And I, and I was just like, oh, man, I got to listen to the other one. I think that's what happened, actually. I think I found this CD used and I started listening to this CD and then mock up scale down a bunch. So that's how it usually works for me. So let's listen to uh, the song from Slideshow from 1997. This song is called The World's Most Embarrassing Moment. Here we go. Let's hear it.
Alright, Mara, so that was the Super Friends with uh, the world's most embarrassing moment. Did you have any thoughts about that song? I liked it. You liked that song a lot? I did. Well, not a lot. I just liked it. Oh, you just liked it, but not yeah. a lot. Not a lot. Well, I liked the guitar at the end. Yeah. That was good. I did not like um, the noise <laughs> at the at the very, very end, though. Okay. No. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't it was want... a little too... What's the word? Dissonant? Yes. That is the word. Okay. Well, I like noise in songs, of course, so that's always... My, sometimes my punk roots are showing. Yes. They say. So, yeah, I do like I do like that. And when the band does stuff like that, I think it's really fun. But what do I know? I only have a podcast about music, Mary. Unlike you. Wait a second. What? I also have a podcast music. You do? Yeah. Oh. It's this one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'll figure out what I said. Yeah. Your opinion is completely valid. Thank you. All right, Mary, well, let's move on to our final song of this of this episode. Okay. This is the moment everyone was waiting for. Mm. The last song. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that. But not... Well, what's wrong with this last song? I guess we'll hear it, and then we'll let Mary vent after the song. All right, everyone. So this is uh, the fabulous Vancouver band, Canned Ham, and their song, I Kissed All the Girls at the Party, from the album Charisma 2001. Let's give it a listen. This is the final song. This is the power ballad to end our power ballad. Power ballads. Let's power ballad our way out of this. Yeah, let's... How long is this song, Dad? I don't know. Four, four minutes or so. Okay. So you just have to get through like four minutes of this. What do you mean? This will be done. It's great. It's fun. All right. Let's give it a listen, everyone.
So that was Canned Ham with their song, I Kissed All the Girls at the Party. Yeah, I thought that was like a good sort of epic way to end the uh, the Canada CD. And also a humorous way to end since this band is, is kind of silly as well as being... They are uh, kind of silly. As well as being fun. And as well they as are, being... Sorry, not kind of. I would say they are incredibly silly. <laughs> so what's your problem with this song, Mary? You sounded like you were prepared to not like it before you even before we even listened to it. Well, I had heard it before. Okay. The first time I remember hearing the song, I think I was in grade six. Okay. And I did not like it then. Okay. And I do not like it now. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. Why? I don't like power ballads. Okay. Um, even in fun? I don't like the idea of the song, Okay. I guess. Okay. Never, never have. <laughs> um, I don't like the canned ham gimmick also. Hmm. What's the gimmick? I don't know that there's like a big ham and a little ham. Okay, yes. Yeah, I don't true. like that. It's okay. kind of I don't know. I don't know why I don't like it. I just it's weird. I just don't like it. Huh. Yeah. That's curious. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it a little bit. Okay. So canned ham are two as uh, a two members, a duo. They're your friends. They are friends of mine, yes, that's true. Which is why you like this song. But they weren't close friends of mine, they're more acquaintances, I guess I should say. Um I guess they're friends. They're friends. And that's not that's not why I like the song. Oh come on, Dad, they don't listen. No, well, the <laughs> uh, it's um, Little Ham mm-hmm. is Robert Dayton. Yes, who was uh, a local cartoonist, mm-hmm. scenester, and a member of the I guess we'd call them the um, what would I call them a uh, conceptual rock act, July Fourth Toilet. They were called. They kind of did the thing that people do with now with the Wu Tang Clan namer. There used to be there used to be a band uh, that. Was made up. One of the members was Greg Greg Turlington. I think his name is. He he became um, Neil Hamburger, the world's most terrible stand-up comic, and he also appears in Ant Man. He's the manager of the Baskin Robbins, where Paul Rudd worked. Oh, and he's a very funny guy. And but he had a little. They had a thing where they would uh, had a name generator. His band was called uh, Zip Code Rapists. And so, and if you sent, if you just asked, if you requested it, they would name, they would send you a name for your band. And so that's where the name for July 4th Toilet came. And the kind of the gimmick of July 4th Toilet was that they would never do the same show twice. So they might do a show, they would do, they did a show called Rock Fantasy, which was based on a children's, uh, a children's album that came out from KTEL, which featured all these characters in the front of the album in costumes, in animal costumes. And so the band created all these animal costumes and performed the entirety of the album, Rock Fantasy. Uh, for a one-time only concert and never did it again. Just stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. Um, Stephen Ham, Big Ham, his real name is Stephen Ham. He was the bass player in the se- seminal Ur grunge band, uh, Vancouver band called Slow. So they kind of were one of the very first kind of bands that you could point to as being like part of a grunge scene, but there was no grunge scene when they started. Right. And they probably broke up before the grunge scene had even started also. Although I seem to remember being at a slow concert at the Town Pump in Vancouver and Green River were there. And Green River was one of the very first grunge bands that came out of the kind of that were part of the Seattle scene. So I guess they were kind of fairly simultaneous. They just were kind of everyone was kind of breathing the same air, of course. So, you know, Vancouver and Seattle have very similar landscapes, very similar landscapes, very similar climates, very similar once upon a time, very similar jobs. You know, like Seattle's changed now. Now it's like Microsoft and and Starbucks and Amazon. But when I when we were younger, it was or I was younger, it was fishing, fishing lumber. and lum- lumber, yeah. And so the costume of the inhabitants was based around that. You know, the fact that it was cold, so they were 
Mac jackets or plaid jackets or plaid shirt, like flannel shirts and jeans. And that was sort of the same thing we were in Vancouver. Super, yeah, very rainy here. It's very rainy and right. very, very chill to your bone, kind of cold. Yeah. And so, yeah, well, layers is always important. And so, yeah, both kind of scenes sort of develop simultaneously simultaneously but separate from each other so there are overlaps but then not overlaps and slow was part of that and then when slow broke up which happened very soon after they kind of got fairly popular they soon they just imploded because all the members were all a bunch of crazy maniacs that was the end of that so then um Stephen ham with the drummer from slow terry russell they started a band called tank hog which was a kind of a real hard hard rock and kind of almost like motorhead sort of sounding band but more kind of I shouldn't say Motorhead. They were more like drawing on like a really heavy version of BTO from the 70s as their inspiration. So he did that for a long time. So then he and Rob Dayton came together and started this group called Canned Ham. And the idea of Canned Ham, well, it's hard to explain it. It's essentially a love letter to a kind of a sort of form of entertainment that doesn't really exist anymore. The kind of like cabaret act or vaudeville act, but not really vaudeville, but kind of like a modern, I think more of a cabaret sort of thing. Like something you'd see in Las Vegas in a lounge in Las Vegas. Like a couple of like kind of schmarmy guys doing their act, but being kind of phony and schmarmy. Yeah. And that's kind of what, that's kind of the, the shtick that, that Ken Ham did live. And so... I think we saw them live, didn't we? Yep. And I saw them a few, quite a few times live. And, uh, but I found, I wanted, I was looking up information about them, but I couldn't really find very much online. But I found this review I remember reading a long time ago, and I thought it was always kind of funny. And so this is a guy who had gone to see Neil Hamburger perform. And Neil Hamburger was using... Uh, Kent Ham is his opening act before he came out and do stand-up. And so this is the description of the show from this person. This is saw them. This is the first time I ever saw Kent Ham. He goes, fake drums pounding through the speakers. Two guys in denim on stage with their backs to the audience doing some stupid 70s style dance moves. But these aren't just any two guys in denim. One is a hugely tall, wide, obese man with a Fu Manchu. And the other is a short, skinny, balding dude with a mustache. A cheesy synth melody comes in. And the guys turn around and begin singing these ridiculously pretentious and bizarre lyrics about how powerful they are. What the hell is this? I'm sitting there wondering to my, my and yourself. Then they jet, jettison into the real opening number, We'll Entertain You. And the shtick is revealed. They're a parody of a Vega-style vaudeville act. Think the Sweeney sisters from those old SNL episodes, but male, ridiculously effeminate, and hilarious as all hell. The little dude bounces around, jerks his legs back and forth, and sings his little heart out, while the big dude lumbers around attempting to keep up with the uproariously dumb dance moves they've made up. Then they start weaving through the crowd, saying greeting everybody, saying greetings to everybody before launching into a nonstop orgy of laughter, burlesque, and audience interaction. Which is a pretty good description of their show. Yeah. Yeah, they wore matching denim suits with little denim caps and they had Sick. both a had, Canadian tuxedo. They both had pink ascots. Love it. And uh part of the, yeah, they were and part of the, you know, there was a lot of audience interaction. They would come into the audience and, and uh paw at the members and, you know, just generally be silly. But I always thought they were I always thought they were really great. Um, I really enjoyed them. I think Stephen Ham did most of the music. He just recorded it himself. He would do like backing tracks and basically when they performed, he would just plug an iPod into into a into the like the PA aux, right, and just play the iPod through the speakers, and then they would just sing along with it. Because what it grew out of was the fact that they both loved to do karaoke. Oh, and so you know they just felt like, oh, our interest in karaoke and our interest in these sort of music, sort of music, is really like you know kind of bonded them, and so they started doing Cantam as like a karaoke style act. So they're singing to a backing track, but that's all they had. And the reason they stopped 
working together is because Ham's iPod broke. And so he didn't have access to the music anymore for the on stage stuff. So they stopped being a group. I worked with them on a radio show, actually. It's kind of funny. With um, Stephen Ham or both? Both Stephen and Dave and Rob Dayton. Yeah. I. I guess Rob had, Robert had written some... I met him as Rob Dayton, so I always think of him as Rob Dayton, but then he changed his name to Robert, which he insists that you call him, but I have a trouble with that because I knew him as Rob Dayton. Do you think actually is a better name, Rob Dayton? It's a cool name. Well, like I have a friend... Well, my partner has a friend yeah. who he grew up, grew up with, Yeah. and so everyone knows him, or my partner knows him as Joey, Yeah. because they grew up together, yeah, right? Yeah. They met when Joey was in kindergarten. Sure. And but now all of his adult friends call him Joe. Yeah, yeah. We still call him Joey because <laughs> he's Joey. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's Joey from the neighborhood. He's Joey, he's known him since kindergarten. Joey from the block. Yeah, all of his all of his grown up friends call him Joe. Yeah. We're like, who? <laughs> Who's this Joe guy? <laughs> Joey? You mean Joey? <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. So yeah, so so Rob had written uh, a radio script uh, that they were going to send into the CBC, and I think Ham Big Ham was a little ambivalent about it and so he asked me to come in and do like a rewrite on it so which is really an awkward kind of situation to step in because someone's already written it and mm. probably really proud of it and the other one doesn't really want to say what he thinks about it entirely because their working relationship is of course i think at this time the working relationship was fairly kind of on ice anyone thin ice anyway so then i came in and i just i did a rewrite but i didn't really do a huge rewrite i just kind of more polished it and sort of streamlined it a little bit right made it less sort of rambly and kind of more focused and i really like the idea of the stuff that robert had written and particularly i like the idea of and but what i wanted to do was create like an adventure story with them at the center of it and then have like a couple of the songs in each episode right sort of linked into the into the adventure they were in and so the first one was them being sent to the far north they're like in the arctic in this in this in the snowy wastes just trudging through the snow cool trying to find this gig that they were sent on by their manager oh i thought they were looking for the hms terror no and their manager their manager is uh this guy called hamster ham he's a, actually a hamster okay part of their stage act was a puppet who was a hamster okay and so um did he have like a high-pitched hamster voice yes he did of course i don't even know why why, I need to ask. why did he even bother asking and so i wish i i'm sure i have the script somewhere but i don't know where it is but um yeah, they they went for this. Uh, so they go for this long, this long walk um, through the snow, and then they pick up on this radio, this voice calling, like calling out this kind of weird stuff about we have to prepare for this, you know, some kind of thing, and that he's calling out this thing to these members of some sort of I don't know. It was just like this weird rant that Robert had written to the script, but it really had no like place in it. So I like I like moved it into the this guy's who they find this bunker where this guy is and then they have to entertain him and then you know so they do their one of their songs and so they, it was it was kind of fun. i thought it was really quite funny and, uh, and it was quite good but they wanted cbc to produce it and cbc said no because cbc their shows at that time and still i guess are based around the idea of doing it as a live show so you can charge people to come see it mm. but also record it as a show and so then right. play it on the radio whereas we've envisioned it as like a a studio produced show with mm-hmm. like sound effects and stuff like that a la the Great Eastern. The Great Eastern. Or any radio show from the past, from yeah. the 1940s and stuff, or 50s. Those are, those are some of my touchstones when I was writing it. And then the second script was was um, the idea that Saskatchewan wasn't completely flat, but okay. it actually was like a bowl, an inverted, like a bowl shape. Oh, okay. And so they, as they go down towards the center of the bowl, they discover a hole in the center of Saskatchewan. Okay. Which they go down and they find the ghost of Mackenzie Lion King. Nice. Down there. Hilarious. Love it. Oh, no. It was a robot Mackenzie Lion King. Oh, okay. And with a, with, but his do- the ghost his, of his, his dog was okay, there. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so that that seemed like really fun, but yeah, CBC didn't go for it. But they were fun to write. They're fun to write, and uh, I enjoyed that. But anyway, it went nowhere. 
that's too bad. I mean, they could have done it themselves, but I just think that where they were at the time, they were just looking for some something they could, someone else would pay them to do, you know, like get some money right. and, you know, because it's hard to make a living. Oh, yeah. As a musician. But yeah, so um, that is the end of the CanCon CD. So what do you think of it overall? It was good. Yeah. I like I liked almost all of it. Except for Can't Ham. Yeah. Sorry, Can't Ham. <laughs> Sorry, Can't Ham. I think you guys are great, but I'm interested. I'm curious what the, the listeners think, if they liked it or not. If they got it. Did you guys get it? Are you hip enough for that stuff? Are you hip as me? Let me know. How will they let us know, Mare? You can send us an email at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. Or you could check out sneakydragon.com and um, post on our forums there. You can also follow us on Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon or follow us on Facebook at sneaky dragon. Wow, you've gotten really good at doing that. Thanks. So I'm sorry that I was so boastful this episode, everyone. I seem to I seem to be hiding my inferiority complex behind a, a, a wall of bravado. What were you boastful about? I was boastful that this was a fabulous mix. Oh, and that I and was, it was, and that I'm so hip that if people don't don't get don't like the songs that I like, then they're not hip. That's true. But I don't think that's true. It is. It just means we have different tastes. No, it's true. <laughs> that it's not hip as me. Yeah. Wow, Mare. Mare has thrown down the gauntlet, everyone. Yeah. Hope you that's appreciate what I'm here that. For. <laughs> not, I'm not here for uh, for fence sitting. I'm here for making statements <laughs> All right. about how people have bad taste if they don't like. Um, Can't have. No, if they don't like. Uh, <laughs> Um, Super Friends? No, what was that song? And I said, if you don't like the song, you need to leave. Then someone oh. made a comment. Oh, Katana Veloso's It's a Long Way. So we made a comment and he was like, oh, I listened to it and I didn't like it. So I started packing up my stuff to go. <laughs> I read that and I, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> that was Chris Roberts. Yeah. And then afterwards he said that he re-listened to it and he liked it. Oh, phew. I was like, oh, oh my goodness. You can stay. You can stay, <gasps> in the, stay in the rumpus room, Chris. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for coming on my little tour of, of uh, I guess, tour of my Canada. Yeah. My Canada of music. Your Canada of when you were, what, in your... 20s? Late 20s, early 30s? Well, 20s, 30s, yeah. Because this I mean, was 94. 90, 95 to, uh, to 2005. Yeah. Yeah, you were 28, oh, 29, yeah, and right. 95. That's right. Yeah. Hm, I was. Yeah. I missed a lot of the beginning of this stuff because I was a young dad and I had a little baby daughter. Who? Me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So for a couple of years, we were very housebound. True. But then then uh, we discovered you reached an the age. The radio? No, you reached an age where we could we could sh- ship you off for babysitting. Oh, And yeah. uh, we were like free. Free! To go back to concerts. Go back see to Rupus concerts. Wainwright. And see Rupus Wainwright. Open for Navy Blues. See Sloan and see, uh, yeah, things that I was loved and was missing. So, yeah. So, anyway, everyone... Thank you for listening to our show. We really appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you. So please take advantage of our many, many ways of contacting us. And um, that's all I have to say. We love it when we hear from you. That's true. Don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger. You're always welcome into the, the listening the, party. The rumpus room. Yeah. This is, where, this is where we come together. Yeah. And you know, it's getting cold out there. Yeah. It's always, it's always toasty in the rumpus room. That's true. We always have the fire on. It's true. Not near the records, though. No, of course not. One time I had a record get melted, not by a fire, but my mom moved my records and she left one. And it was weird because I ha- didn't have it. I hadn't put it back in the sleeve, okay. like in the records, the cardboard right. sleeve, but I had put it into the the plastic, into the plastic uh, sleeve. Oh, okay. But my mom moved, moved the, my records and she put it where the, into the sun, mm-hmm. where the sun shone in. And then it shone. And even though the record was in its sleeve, it was a plastic sleeve. And so it got really hot and it melted. 
And it was a, from a two-disc, rec- like a two-record set. Oh. Uh, King Crimson record set. Oh, wow. I think it's called The Child's Guide to King Crimson. And I was very upset because I, I, I lost cat, cat Food, the song Cat Food and the song Groon, which I both love those songs. They don't sound like good songs, but I'll, I'll trust your judgment, I guess. <laughs> what do you mean they don't sound like good songs? It's called Cat Food? Yeah. It was it's bad. Good, that's great. No. What's wrong with Cat Food? It's a terrible idea. For a song? Just in general. <laughs> I don't like cat food. It's nasty. <laughs> okay, Mare. What about dog food? Dog food's better. Uh, I think it's still the same. They have different proteins in them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. So you can't feed cat food to dogs for a long period of time. Oh, okay. Because it's not good for them. It's too rich. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Cats what? and dogs have different... They can, like, break down properly. Okay, okay. So, like, when I was working at the kennel, mm-hmm. the dog shelter... We would only feed cat food to dogs if they were really, really resistant to taking their meds. Hmm. And you could hide meds in cat food. It's stinkier. <laughs> it's usually fish. Yeah. Whereas fish. dog food is usually chicken or pork, yeah. sometimes lamb, sometimes turkey. Or, or beef. Or beef, yeah. Well, there we go, everyone. And people say we have trouble ending this show. See you in the bye week. Okay, bye. See you in a fortnight, but not in the video game. Okay, bye. I don't have a problem with ending the show, Dad. <laughs> shut up. It's fine. <laughs> it's, not, it's not my problem. Hey, you Dad. Shut up. You have a problem. Oh,